We press pause. We open our ears to hear your word, God. It's not about Heath Harris. It's not about Sanctuary Family Worship Center. Jesus, receive all the glory. Receive all the honor. Holy Spirit, be in the atmosphere. Be about everything we're doing. Open our ears to hear from you. Holy Spirit, help me to speak only what you have for me to speak. And Lord, most importantly, at the end of this, may we just fall more in love with Jesus. Lord, it's not about what I can say to convince anybody. There's nothing fancy that we can do. It doesn't matter about lights or PowerPoint or, or, or catchy sermons. Holy Spirit, we want to press pause. And Lord, it's all about Jesus. Get us fall more in love. Let you would be our goal, Lord, our prized possession, God, that we'd see how lovely, how beautiful, how wonderful you are. And everything else in our life would pale in comparison to knowing Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about keeping the first things first. The first things first. What does it mean to win in the Christian life? What does it mean to win in the Christian life? I don't know about you, but as a uh, two working parent family, we both work full time and we both have two young kids. The bombardment of life sometimes can get a little crazy. Uh, it's hard to balance priorities. I think even for retired people today, it's hard to balance priorities. How do you find time with all of life's to-dos? Maybe there's things that are right now demanding too much of our time. You have things like work and homework and kids and sports and yard work and laundry and all the constant to-do list of fixing something. Every week something breaks or gotta be painted or something happens or something goes in the shop. It just seems like there's a never-ending list and so in the middle of all that, how do you balance being a good mom and dad or grandparent? How do you balance praying and reading your Bible or witnessing and going to church? Uh, I think it's hard enough right now even to find time to eat healthy and exercise, much less find time where you can sit down and reflect about being a better person, right? How do you find time to just think about how do I get over my past and how do I work on my character traits and my character faults? Who has time to think that when you're trying to get ready just for Monday and you're trying to get the kids clothed and then you have like, if you're at my house, it's like, Put your shoes on, put your shoes on, put your, why'd you take your shoes off? Why don't you have any clothes on? Put your clothes back on. What are you doing? And you know, you have a toddler, it's just like as soon as you do something, it's already undone in a, in a heartbeat. And so life can just, I, I told my wife and Pastor Christian the other day, it's like sometimes it's just work to get to work, you know, just to get out the door. And, and I don't know, anybody like that in, in your world that you live in, right? It's work to get to work sometimes. So how do you keep the first things first? It's kind of like a healthy diet. You know, when you, you set a goal and you make daily disciplines to get there, but what happens is as life comes in, little by little, you wake up 20 years later, 20 pounds overweight, and that's just life. It's just the way it goes. You just look back and think, man, how did this happen? Or how did I get to here? Or you set a goal on January 1st, and by Thanksgiving, you think, oh, next year, right? You just think, it's okay. I'm already so far in the year. What's the point of trying now? We'll start over January again. And that's, isn't that what we do? Like you just, it kind of just happens and you wake up and, and the same is true spiritually. You can just set good goals as a, I mean, I got on fire for the Lord and we had revival and I fasted and I prayed and the Lord came down and he saw angels or something. And then you're like, one year later, you're like, I don't know if I can do it anymore. You know, and you just wake up one day and realize, how did I get here? The same is true spiritually. We can drift and find ourselves out of shape. So how do you keep the most important things first in your life, the first things first? In 1894, there was a pastor by the name of George Jackson, and he wanted to leave a legacy compiling it to young Christian men 
on what he would want them to do to prioritize their life and keep the first things first. And that's what he titled the book, First Things First. And here's what he thought was most important for that generation. He said, I want them to know self-control or how Jesus dealt with people or what does it mean to be a Christian or why we ought to be a Christian or how we might lose our inheritance in this life or how we would avoid temptation. How do you win the prize of eternity? How do you deal with the problem of yourself? How do you avoid idolatry and how do you know what true worship is? And if you were to lit, give yourself a list today, what are the priorities that you would think would determine your life? What are the principles that you would want to list down by the end of this, this morning? What principles would determine your priorities? What would you write down that would help you keep the first things first? You know, it's been said this Christian life is a journey. It's a journey of selfless love of God and, and others. In fact, it's a daily marathon of every day getting up to decide I'm going to deny myself today. I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. I'm going to love more like Jesus. And if I had to ask you in this marathon, are you winning? Just be honest right now with your life. Are you winning in the Christian life? Are you winning in the way you're running right now? What principles are determining your priorities. You know, if anything in life, without a motivation to win, without clear goals, without clear daily disciplines, we are sure to slowly slide into being out of shape, into being spiritually lax, and to come up short. And our goal this morning, it, hopefully all of our goals at the end of our life, is when we win our race, that we get up to heaven and the Father says, well done, good, and what? Faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. So how do you keep the first things first? And I'll say it this way. How do you keep the faithful things first? Well done, good and faithful servant. How do you keep the faithful things first? If you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. If you're there, somebody say amen. Winning the Christian life, keeping the faithful things first, it takes endurance to win. Let me give you the background here. In the early church, right off the bat, despite just having heard it from the apostles that Jesus has come and died, and they're hearing it from firsthand sources, people who heard the gospel from firsthand sources had already begun to fall away. When hard times came, they began to shrink back from Jesus Christ, even in the first century. Just think about that. Man, I knew a guy who knew Jesus. Wouldn't that be kind of hard to fall away? It's like, man, how can you fall away? This guy, like, they, him and Jesus were... were compadres, man, they knew each other, like he heard him. And they began even then in that day to shrink back in faith. And there were some people on the other side of the spectrum that said, you know what, we have this great freedom in Christ. And they began to use that freedom to get further into sin. They began to use their freedom as an excuse. We can do whatever we want now. Jesus has fulfilled the law. We're saved, man. We can do it. We're done. It's finished, right? And Paul the apostle began to preach grace by faith, that it's, there's no religious laws anymore, that Christ has fulfilled the law, you are saved by grace, and you have this freedom in the Holy Spirit. And Paul began to get criticized by some people. Paul, don't we need to have some rules to keep us on the straight and narrow? Paul, don't we need some laws, some religious works in the Christian life so we don't end up like these people falling away and some people falling into sin? Don't we need something to guide our life? And Paul began to explain something. He said, you know, I'm free from religious works, even to the point that with a Jew, I can be a Jew, and with a Gentile, I can be a Gentile. I'm doing anything I can to reach somebody to Jesus. But he said, I also have some daily disciplines. I have some weekly principles that are guiding me 
so that I won't lose this race. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. I'm reading in the New American Standard. It says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in a way that you may win. Everybody say win. Run in a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the Olympic Games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way, not as just beating the air, but I discipline my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul says, you know, I'm free to eat, I'm free to drink, I'm free to dress however I want, but I'm not going to use this freedom to trip me up. Yes, I can do whatever I want, but I've got to run in a way to win. He says, I've got disciplines to help me keep the first things first. Christ-centered things, they're going to help me make every decision. I'm presented with a situation. How do I make the right decision? He says, I've got disciplines and Christ-centered principles that help me navigate this freedom I have. For instance, he says, I've got to do this so that even myself and ministry will not be disqualified. You ever see these cases of pastors that are falling left and right in America today? And you think, my gosh, you know, a pastor, all you do is eat and preach and sleep and and fast and pray and stuff. That's all you do all week long, right? I didn't know that, right? That's all we do. But anyway, he says, how do you preach the gospel every day? And you devote your life to studying the scriptures and you pray and you build these things for the kingdom. And then you fall on Monday? How can you preach on Sunday and fall on Monday? How is that possible? He says, because... Even the best of us, even the most holy people, even the most people who know the Bible the most, even the people who have degrees in Scripture, that if we do not keep the first things first, any of us can come up short in this race. Even Paul, the apostle, he said, I've got something I've got to do. I have a game plan. I have a strategy for winning. You know, winning doesn't happen on accident. Anybody ever seen a football game win on accident? It doesn't happen on accident. There's a strategy. There's a game plan. There's something they have an agenda to do. And in this busy life with all of our freedoms, if you and I don't have a goal for winning, if we don't have a way to get to the finish line, if we don't have a disciplined routine, if we don't practice the right principles, we will not win in the Christian life. So what principles are determining your priorities right now? Look at your weekly schedule. Look at your to-do list this month. What principles are determining what decisions you're about to make? What principles are determining how you fill your calendar, how you plan your schedule? Do you keep the faithful things first? Let me give you three things I believe it takes to win. Number one is play to win. Number one is play to win. In every competition, you have to have a motivation to win, right? You have to have a motivation to win. What's the grand prize? What's the trophy? You know, it's like uh, kids who join our, our Gina Giants football team. And if you don't come in there with an idea and saying, I want to get to the state finals, I want to get to the district games, I want to get to the playoffs, or whatever sport it is, you've got to have a motivation to win. Otherwise, when it's 110 degrees out there in the summer months and you are sweating and you are hurting and everything in your body says quit, 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 there's not going to be the motivation to push through the pain. There's not going to be any, when someone's yelling at you and say, give me some more, give me some more, and you say, you know, I could be home watching TV right now and eating a Twinkie. I mean, wouldn't you rather do that? If you don't have a motivation to be there and to win, there's not going to 
to be the motivation to stay through the trials and temptations and the practice. The same is true for the Christian life. There's got to be a goal. There's got to be something you're pressing for that you're going to say, man, when it's tough and you want to give in and everything in your life is saying, quit, 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 give in, surrender to this temptation, give in to that thing. You don't have to do that. You've got to have a desire to win. And what are you winning? What are you looking at when you want to quit? Apostle Paul tells Timothy, his son in the faith, he says, Christ is the greatest gain. He says, it's for this that we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who's the Savior of all men. He says, especially of believers. He says, this is the goal of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. This is my thing that I focus on in life. This is the thing that's going to get me through every hard time because Jesus is lovely. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's my only aim in life. He's the thing I'm striving for more than anything else in this world. Even the author of Hebrews said it the same way. He says that fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him, he endured. He endured, and I look at him and see how he endured for me, and so I want to endure for him. I want to win for Jesus, and Paul says, this is the aim. This is the thing that gets me through sleepless nights and shipwrecked nights and snake-bitten times. This is the time when I'm getting stoned and thrown off a cliff, and when they want to burn me, and everybody hates me, and I'm cold, and I'm hungry, and I'm naked. This is the thing when I look at him, I think, because of him, it's all worth it. I don't care what I give up in this life. I don't care about reputation. I don't care who likes me or doesn't like me. I don't care what they say about me on Facebook. I don't care if all my family disowns me. I don't care if I'm poor and I'm living in a trailer park in the middle of nowhere. Man, I like Jesus. He is for me and not against me. So I'm going to suffer with him because if anything, I might gain him. He says, man, I want him most. So what are you striving for? Let me be honest, most of American Christianity, most of American church, that is not what we're striving for. Be completely honest. Most American Christians are not aiming for Jesus. We're aiming for a get out of hell card. We're aiming for a heaven that has no tears and no pain, no suffering. We're aiming for the streets of gold and the crystal sea. We're aiming for a better life now. We're aiming for God to meet all of our conditions and God to help us have more money and God to help us have better relationships and and God to bless us and heal us. We want God to meet all these things. But what if all those things didn't happen? What if there was no heaven, streets of gold and crystal sea? What if there was pain? What if there was suffering and death? What if things still just as they were but that you got to gain Jesus. Would he be enough? Would he be enough? What if he never met any of your conditions, never met any of your needs? Would you still think he alone was worth it? You see, is it for our money? Is it for our happy relationship? Is it about getting to that vacation? Is it about building a better house or having more time for hobbies? Or do we see the glory of gaining Christ? That this is a guy who has loved us while we were yet sinners and yet died for us. That he gave up his own reputation and became as a humble man, a sinner, like I came and died as a sinner, took our sin, our shame, bore our sickness on the cross, and nailed it to it. You know, Isaiah 28 said, there's a coming a day when the host of the of the Lord, they'll see Jesus and he'll be this beautiful crown, this glorious diadem to the remnant of his people, Isaiah 28 says. See, you have to play to win. You've got to have a goal and that goal is Jesus. Number two is this, you gotta know the rules. 
I've learned over the years of playing board games in houses with people as pastor. We go play board games. We, church, I don't know what it is. Church likes board games. But, you know, I, I go to the house to the house and you say, uh, how do you play Monopoly? You know, every single family, I think, has a different rule or way they play Monopoly. Do you put the cash in the pot? Does everybody get it? Do you pass go? How it happens? Or even a Mexican train dominoes, man. Everybody has a rule. We were having a debate over Christmas of how the rules were of what, no, we do it this way in our family and they do it that way at their house. And if you don't know how the rules are, you don't know how to win. If you don't know the rules, you don't know how to win. If you don't know how the game is played, you don't know how to win. And the same is true for the Christian life. Paul says, if you want to win the game, you have to play by the rules. I was in art competition in high school, and, and we were at regionals, and I... Uh, had a piece I really thought was very good, and I went and I put it in, and, and it took a lot of time. It was the piece I liked and how I liked how to draw, and uh, I put it in, and it got honorable mention, fourth place, and I was like, oh, okay, well, that's pretty good, and, uh, but I thought it would be better, just to be honest. You know, I'm a little prideful, but he thought I'd do better, and so my art teacher comes and says, hey, I know the judge, and I know what they like. Why don't you do it in charcoal and colors and on velvet paper? And I'm like, I don't draw that way. I don't like, that's not my style. I don't want to do that. But he said, just do this. Put two pieces in. Put your piece you like and put the piece the judges like in. And guess what? When I did what the judge liked and did a piece they liked, it came in first place. You see, because it matters on who the judge is. Listen to me. It matters on what the judge likes. And who's the judge? Jesus Christ. Look what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. He says, We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And he says, Christ is going to be sitting on this judgment seat. And the word there is bema seat, which means the judgment seat of Christ. It's the word they would have for the Olympic Games judge. Not like what we think a court judge. We says this Olympic Game judge. It's like Christ is going to be like the Olympic Game judge. He's going to determine who gets the gold, who gets the silver, who gets the bronze, who crosses the finish line. Like at NASCAR, they have the frames. You know, they, they know which car comes because it's going so fast. He determines who finishes the race. He says that's going to be Jesus on that day. And we should all know what the judge likes, how the judge will determine who wins. And what is Jesus like? Doesn't he love it when we love him enough to obey him by faith? Doesn't he love it when we love others enough to tell people about Jesus? And isn't that all at the end of the day that really matters? What the judge is going to say about you? What the judge is going to judge you by? We can do all the things we want to do. I could have drawn all kinds of pictures forever that I wanted to think that I thought should win first place, but it didn't matter what I thought should win first place. It matters what the judge thinks. It matters what the rules of the game are. And Jesus wants to know are, what principles are determining your priorities. I said it a few weeks ago that life will be short and forever won't. Some things matter and some things don't. Some things don't matter to the judge. Some things aren't going to determine whether or not you win or not, but some things will determine whether you lose. I think sometimes I feel like we're having more baseball right now, and every, every night I see all these lights out here behind our church, the baseball fields. And I see, I think sometimes it's like this. We're, we're, we're in the game, but it's like those little leaguers, you know, at, at T-ball and the little, like I'm talking the preschoolers. And they're out there and it's the cutest thing in the world. But you know, some kid is out there doing this in the outfield, you know, and they're looking at their shoe and they're going over here. And I think sometimes it's like that at church. It's like, we're in the game, 
But are we in it? Are we daydreaming about what we could be doing and what macaroni is for snack time or what, what's, what's the juice box going to be after this game is over or how I'd like to be home playing on my instant, you know, Nintendo or whatever. I mean, are we, are we in it? Do we know the rules? Are we living by his priorities or our priorities? And number three is this. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. You know, there's band practice, there's uh, worship practice, there's... There's uh, football practice, baseball practice, cheer practice, dance practice. There's also Christian practice. Christian practice. Paul says, I'm disciplining myself. I'm not, I'm not punching. When I'm boxing, he says, I'm not punching the air. I'm punching a punching bag. I'm trying to do strength training. And we, he talks about discipline. And discipline comes out like as a bad word. We don't like the word discipline. But what he's talking about is endurance training. I have to have endurance training in the Christian life. He says, I don't have religious rules that I live by, but I have principles for strength training. I have things that I do to make me stronger in this life. And do you know that practice times... Practice times is not judged by the referee. Think about it. The referee does not come to practice. In fact, the referee doesn't really care if this basketball team or football team, how much they practice, if they practice on Thursdays or Fridays. You know, that's kind of up to the team and the coach, right? He's not coming there and judging whether or not they did good in practice or how they practice or how much they practice. It's up to them if they want to win, they'll practice more, right? The game is what's judged, but practice time is not on the field. It's not the time that we're looking at to determine if you're going to win or not, but it's a obligation to you to say, if I want to win, I'll do these things. No one is going to come in here and judge whether or not you read your Bible, whether or not you pray, whether or not how many times a month you come to church. There is no laws in the Christian life, but there are Christian voluntary principles, things that will lead you to win and make sure that if you do these things, you're sure to show yourself approved, that you'll win. There's no law. Sometimes we feel guilty. I didn't read my Bible today and I feel guilty and feel condemned. There's no condemnation. There's no rules of how much you have to do to be a Christian. But there is things that are going to determine whether or not you win in this life. And if I want to win like Paul, I'm going to do all things that I might gain him. I'm going to make sure I'm going to practice. I'm going to study. I'm going to go the distance. And these are some good voluntary Christian practices that help us win. That's why the author of Hebrews in chapter 12 said, let us run with endurance. How do you build endurance if you're not practicing for the race? You've got to finish well. You're going to have to have Christ-like principles that are going to determine your priorities. They're going to help you keep faithful things first. I'll give you five really quickly before we leave. Five things that I would say if I was your coach that what I would want my team to do the first is you need a devotion to prayer. The Bible says you're to be voted, devoted to prayer. You're to pray without ceasing. I think that means you need to develop a daily habit where prayer comes first in your life. When you get up in the morning that you talk to Jesus. Maybe it's getting up before your coffee. Maybe it's on your drive to work. You don't, there's no rules. There's no law. But do something that works for you. Maybe it's when you're mowing the lawn. Maybe it's when you're eating lunch. Find a time to grow a devotion to prayer. Have a family devotional time. Maybe you need a prayer journal. Parents, you should teach your children to pray. You should pray together as a family every morning or night before you go to bed. Again, what works for you? But you need a devotion to prayer. Number two, 
a devotion to the word of God. The Bible says you're going to be nourished on the word. He told Timothy, he said, Timothy, as I pass this on to you, pay close attention to the word of God. It, it will persevere. It'll help you persevere. It'll save yourself. It'll save others if it's in you. It means ensuring that you have a regular study and meditation for the word, not just reading through the Bible in a year and moving on, not just having a little daily devotional on Facebook, just a little meme. No, study the word. Maybe you need to find a commentary. Maybe you need to watch some videos on our Right Now Media. Be a part of a small group. Get invested in the word of God. Meditate on it day and night. Eat on it and eat on it and eat on it. Study it. If you don't know what it says, find someone who does. Get in no real good doctrine in the days that we're living in, so you'll not be swayed. Ensure, parents, that your children are in the Word daily, that it's a priority as a family. And I'll say that again. Parents, make sure the Word is a priority for your family. One, one of the things we did when we were uh, starting out with kids is we bought this little book that has a, uh, a Bible verse for every letter of the alphabet, and we've taught both of our children to know 26 Bible verses just off the top. So we every night before we go to bed, it's A, a soft answer turns away wrath. B, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. C, children obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. D, do all things without complaining and disputing. And my seven-year-old girl knows all 26 Verses that go along with each letter. And more, we're learning more now. Parents, there's one thing you want to succeed at, succeed at net, making sure your children know the Word of God. That's the thing they're going to be judged by. That's the thing that's going to get them through when they want to quit and give in, that there's something that's going to get them through the hardest days of their life. My gosh, there needs to be a learning of the Bible for our children. Make sure they're in kids' church. Make sure they're in youth ministry. But that's just a minor thing. Every day, you need to make sure your children know the Word of God. Amen. Make it a priority if you want to win. Do you have to? Absolutely not. You do not have to read the Bible. You do not have to pray to go to heaven. But if you want to win, you want to be sure you'll not fall away. Number three, have a devotion to serving others. Jesus says that you should take the place of a servant like he did when he washed the disciples' feet. Paul says, have that same attitude that was in Christ that he humbled himself to make himself of no reputation and died as a sinner on the cross as a sinner like us. That means... They will be judged one day, Jesus says, if we've clothed the naked and fed the hungry and cared for the broken, that we minister to the outcasts of society. Those are things that Jesus cares about. We'll be judged for those. So what does that mean? It means like Jesus that I want to make a priority to regular interruptions or something that I adhere to. You've ever noticed all the miracle stories in, in the Gospels are often interruptions? A lady pressing in through the crowd, somebody yelling at him, somebody coming through a roof in the middle of his sermon. I mean, every time it was interruptions, and yet Jesus ministered to every interruption. Sometimes people become an inconvenience to us, and things were, I got a busy day, and I didn't want to stop there. I didn't want to talk to that person. I had to get things done, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. But do I see these moments as God opportunities, things that God is putting in my place, and my pathway that I would do something to show Jesus I think it means that we demonstrate charity in our giving and involve our families I think it means looking for and making the most of every opportunity like Ephesians says maybe it's doing random acts of kindness as a part of your regular routine maybe it means not being so busy that we don't take the time to notice people around us you know selflessness takes intentionality number four it's a devotion to your calling. Uh, you know, the Bible says each one of you in this room has a spiritual gift. Some of you have natural talents. Some of you can 
do all kinds of things and sing and carpentry and sew and some of you are just really good with people. Some of you are great teachers. Some of you can draw and paint. Some of you can, can write poetry. I mean, there's all kinds of things in this room that you are good at. And the Lord has given you these gifts that you might use them for his glory. And every person, when they become saved, the Holy Spirit puts spiritual gifts inside of you. All kinds of spiritual gifts. The Bible doesn't even list them all. There's so many. Helps and administrations and leadership. Some have the gifts of healing and prophecy and tongues. And some people have gifts of generosity and encouragement. Some people are just encouragers by their gifts. And so my challenge to you is that as we're all commanded to make disciples, that each one of us do it in our own way. If you're a singer, be the best singer you can be for the Lord. Practice and learn about worship. Learn new songs. Get up there and, and, and use your gift. Maybe you're a carpenter. How can you use it for the Lord? And maybe go on missions trips or build porches for seniors. Or if you're good with kids, be the best kids worker you can be. Learn everything there is to know about kids ministry and jump on in head first. Be a good kids leader, youth leader. Maybe if you can teach, you're to study and show yourself approved and not wait for that opportunity to present itself, but sometimes you have to do the training and education now so that the door, when God's ready, will open later. Sometimes I think we're always waiting for someone to ask us or looking for the opportunity, but maybe right now it's the endurance training, the strength training is now, so that when the time is right, you can walk through that door. Sometimes they're just waiting and waiting. But the Bible says, whatever you do, do it for the Lord rather than for men. And he told Timothy again, before he would die, Paul said, be a vessel of honor, useful to the master, prepared for every good work he'd have you to do. Preparing for every good work he would have you to do. Do you have a devotion to prayer? Do you have a devotion to the word? Are you devoted to serving others? Do you have a devotion to your calling? And lastly, do you have a devotion to his presence? And what do I mean by that? I mean that before you rest in front of the TV and before you long to rest on that beach vacation, Take moments every day, every week, and rest in his presence. The Bible says Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. That means he's Lord of rest. He's Lord of that moment where you can, before you get into work every day, just take a breath and take him in. When you go from one meeting to the next, just take a breath and rest in Jesus. Get up in the morning and watch the sunrise and listen to the birds and just take a breath and say, God, you're beautiful, what you've done. Take a moment and walk the night sky and just look it up and look at all the stars and just take God in. And just look and see what he's done and how big he is and how small we are and yet he's mindful of us. Take moments of worship with your families and with your children. Put on a CD or put on some worship music in your house and turn off the news and turn off the TV and turn off Facebook and just be in his presence. We're so busy, we're so bombarded, but are we people of his presence? Do you have a non-anxious presence? Are we worried? We're anxious. We're excited. We're, we're thinking, we're, you know, we're sort of da, 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 and just calm. And the Bible talks about being a peaceable people, a gentle people, a meek people. In fact, Paul would tell Timothy, he said, I, I pray for a tranquil and quiet life for this church. Wouldn't that be something? Woo, a tranquil and quiet life. Pray for a tranquil and quiet. Are you a tranquil and quiet life? Do you have that? Because you're resting you're not gonna control all the things that are going on in this world, nor much less the things that are going on in your life and your kid's life and your work, but you can control whether or not I'm a restful person, whether I sleep and eat right, whether I take moments just to breathe him in. And you know what? Some things matter and some things don't. Some things matter and some things, what are we getting stressed about? What does it matter? Is this something that I'm running for? Is it, is it about this goal to gain Christ? 
Are you winning in the Christian life? Play to win. Know the rules. Practice makes perfect. What principles are determining your priorities? And are you right now keeping the faithful things first? Are you keeping the faithful things first in your life? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And worship team, would you come?